All right. So this morning, we are continuing to look at Jesus' life. Uh, we're going to find ourselves in John 10 for the majority, or really the, the whole body of our main passage this morning, if you want to turn to John 10. Um, and, and we're looking, we're kind of skipping. If you remember where we were last week, we're skipping a couple chapters. So last week, we left the message off where Jesus was traveling to Jerusalem and arrived at Jerusalem for the Feast of the Tabernacles. And while he's there for this festival, he has many conversations with the crowds, with the leaders, pointing to who he is as the Messiah. And this morning, I want to look at one specific one in John 10. Um, but before we begin, please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us so that we may know you better. And Father, that's what we ask for in this time, that you would open our hearts and open our ears to know you better. Uh, to see more of you. Lord, we want to know you. We want to come before you and, and set aside all else so that we might worship you and that we might be surrendered to you. And God, we trust you at this time. We ask that it would be your words. Hide me completely. Uh, let this be a, a sacrifice and an offering pleasing to you. May we lift our hearts to you and to you alone. Lord, we need you to move. And we ask you to do so in this time, in this conversation. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. All right, so John 10, this is Jesus speaking, starting in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father." There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And so you have this fascinating idea that Jesus presents of, I am the good shepherd. And what Jesus is doing, a little background, we'll go through this quickly, but a little background, what Jesus is doing in this explanation in chapter 10 is he's addressing the problem that was presented in chapter 9. In chapter 9, it's, it's really revealed that the source of Israel's problem is that they're being led by bad shepherds. 
there, there are some very just painful conversations to witness and to think that maybe we've had similar conversations in our own life. But in chapter 9, you see the Pharisees, and you see their flaws as the shepherds of Israel. And so in chapter 10, Jesus directly puts himself in contrast to the Pharisees who are bad shepherds. And this is a theme that you see throughout Scripture. If you go back to Isaiah, if you go to Ezekiel, you see this idea of the flaw of bad shepherding and the need for God to come and correct and to be the shepherd, the true shepherd, the good shepherd of Israel. And so that's what Jesus is doing in chapter 10. And he starts off with, he starts off by identifying himself as God, the Father, in both person and purpose. Because remember, the crowd, the leaders, the people, they're wrestling with this conversation of who is Jesus. And they're, they're struggling with one of the things that they've... Um, been angered by, I guess would probably be the best way to put it. One of the things that they've really been outraged over at times is when Jesus identifies himself as God. And so once again here, Jesus opens this whole conversation by identifying himself as equal to the Lord in both purpose and in person. You have Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And remember that word when we studied Psalm 23 and we did a whole series on it, we looked at the Lord, we looked at that it was Yahweh, God's name for himself. It was God's name for himself. And so here we have Jesus. So in the Old Testament, you see that Yahweh, God the Father, is the shepherd. Jesus here is identifying himself as the good shepherd. Isaiah 40, 11, talking about God, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. And then you also have Jeremiah 23, 1 through 4. Woe to the shepherds, this is the Lord speaking. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. And so what did we see in those passages? We saw Yahweh, God the Father, identified as shepherd. And then in Jeremiah, you see God's purpose as shepherd. I will go and I will gather the people from other countries and I will reassemble my flock. And then here in John 10, Jesus says the same thing. He says, I am the good shepherd. I have other sheep who are not of this flock. They will also hear my voice. So very quickly, Jesus establishes himself once again as I am equal to God the Father in both person and in mission. And this sets off a trigger. This festival of the booths is when the efforts to kill Jesus, the plotting to kill Jesus, really begin to ramp up in intensity. Just a chapter earlier in John, it's at the very end of John 8, very start of John 9, Jesus is speaking about being God, and it says they went to lay hands on him, but Jesus hid himself and fled because the time was not yet come. So this is really, things are getting, they're heating up. And this conversation continues to do so because Jesus boldly and unapologetically, and I stress this because we need to just as boldly and unapologetically affirm that Jesus is God. Right? Last week we looked at this idea of, is the church really facing persecution? Is that really ahead for us? Or are we currently in there? And there have been numerous conversations about how do we respond to it? And how do you respond to leadership during it? And one of the things that we have to be aware of is we have to be aware of truth. And so one thing I'm going to tell you, if you're ever listening to a podcast, you're ever listening to a sermon, you're, you move out of town, you're, if someone ever tells you that Jesus is not God, that's your last interaction with that church. You're done. Because they clearly have not cracked. I mean, come on. And so Jesus opens this conversation on, I am the good shepherd by identifying himself as God. 
But then he goes on and he, there are two phrases, two ideas that occurred in that passage that I want us to look at. Because it's so, I mean, I was just, I was so humbled this week and last week prepping for this message. And the first thing that I really want to spend time talking about, and whether you've been a believer your whole life or you're here this morning or you're joining us online and you don't have a relationship with God, I want you to understand this, this, this deep, I mean, just mind-blowing truth that Jesus presents. In verse 3, Jesus says, talking about the good shepherd, he says, he calls his own sheep by name. And then later on in, ver- in this same chapter, he goes on to say, say, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And really, we're going to slow down for a second and think about that. Because, yeah, yeah, God knows me. But, I mean, no, really consider this. God, the creator of the universe, knows you personally and intimately, and he delights in you in that knowledge. Mike, what's your favorite sports team? Cleveland Brown. Who's your favorite player? Historically, current? Kozar? All right, Bernie Kozar. So Mike goes to an autograph event. He gets up. He gets to meet Bernie Kozar, right? Let's be honest. Do you think Bernie Kozar is going to you know, meet you and be like, okay, I now need to rearrange my calendar so I can get to know you personally? So I want a relationship with you. No, Bernie Kozar doesn't have an interest in knowing Mike, even though Mike's his biggest fan, right? Like Cal Ripken Jr., the greatest baseball player who ever lived. I won't accept any other arguments. <laughs> Cal Ripken Jr., Jeter? Uh, eh, Ruth, no. Cal Ripken, you're all wrong. Cal Ripken Jr., greatest baseball player who ever lived. If I bumped into him in a street, like, I have this dream in my mind where we bump into each other, and he's like, wow, you're fun, and we become best friends, and he buys me a house, and we live next to each other. <laughs> I can just play catch. If I bumped into Cal Ripken Jr. in the street, there is zero chance that he is going to spend time investing in me getting to know me. These guys are athletes who were born and are going to die just like everybody else. God, the infinite, almighty, alpha and omega, knows you. And not just knows you in like a, yeah, I know Community Bible Church. I know Richland County. Like, no, he knows you personally. It says he calls his own sheep by name. Exodus 33, 17, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Isaiah 43, 1, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Jeremiah 1.5 and 29.11, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I mean, this is a relationship like we can't even fathom. Nahum 1.7, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in Him. And then Psalm 139, and we won't read all of it, but listen to these words that David pours out from his heart. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. You lay your hand upon me. You surround me. You know me. 
Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? And he goes on to list all the places that he can't possibly get away from God. Verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. I mean, really? Just, just think about that. God knows you. Like, knows your name. He knows what you like. He knows what you dislike. He knows what you struggle with. He knows your hurts. He knows your joys. He knows you. That's, that's mind-blowing. One of the greatest fears that people have is being unknown of feeling like nobody knows them and nobody cares about them, that they're just, they're alone and they're lost in this world. That they have no value to anyone else. God knows you. Jesus said he calls his own sheep by name. This is, this has to be one of the most incredible truths of the love of the Father, of the love of Jesus, that he knows us. But there's fear in that. There's a little bit of fear in that. Martin Luther said, if the sins known to my heart were published to the world, I would deserve the gallows. To be sure, the world now respects me. But if it really knew me, it would spit on me, for I would deserve beheading. That was Martin Luther. And there's some truth to that. Actually, I would say there's a lot of truth to that. See, we know each other, but I would guess if you knew, I mean, if you really knew every, every cruel thought I ever had, every arrogant thought I ever had, every selfish thought I ever had, I mean, if you really saw the worst side of me throughout my life, I've got to imagine you would think less of me and you would love me a little less. I have to imagine that because I know the horrible ugliness of my own sin. And Martin Luther is expressing this, and I think for most of us, there's that same fear, right? If people really knew me, they wouldn't love me. And so we put up walls, and we put up masks, or we put on masks, and we put up barriers, and we keep everybody at an arm's length so that they can't get close enough to know us, because if you really knew me, you wouldn't love me. And you would reject me, so I'll just keep you at a distance before you get a chance to reject me. And the problem is when we bring that to our relationship with God. Because just as we see that God knows us, and make no mistake, your ugliest parts, your darkest side, God knows. God knows the very worst of you. But does that change how God approaches you? Make no mistake, He's a God of justice. Make, make absolutely no mistake about that. But in His knowledge... In his perfect, omniscient knowledge of who you are, what do we see about God? What do we see about God the Father? What do we see about Jesus? In Matthew 18, Jesus is talking again about the shepherd and the sheep. And it's when he says, If a shepherd has a flock and one sheep strays away, does not the shepherd leave the 99 to go search for the one? 
Psalm 18, 19, God brought me into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Psalm 149, 4, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. I mean, really, think about that. The Lord takes pleasure in his people. God knows you. God knows you better than your spouse does, better than your parents do, better than your kids do. God knows you, and he takes pleasure in his people. Listen to Ephesians 3. This is Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. For this very reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength, listen, listen to verse 18, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of his love, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the love. I mean, God loved you and sent his son to die for you. Loved you to the point of sending his son to die for you. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And we look at it as a quantity, right? Like, for God loved the world so much but that original word also has connotations of, for God loved the world in this manner. For God loved you in this way that he sent his son. Him sending his son to die for you is a demonstration, is a manifestation, an outpouring of his love for you. For God loved the world in this way that he sent his son to die for you. And then what do we see here in John 10? What did Jesus say? Jesus says, I lay my life down on my own accord. No one takes it from me. I have been given the authority to lay it down. Jesus chose to lay down his life for you because of his love for you. And that's love that exists side by side in perfect person with perfect knowledge of you. Torin Wells has the song, Fully Known. And when he talked, he did an interview when he wrote that song. And he talked about two fears that people have. And he looked at like actual reports on people, right? And he said there are two fears, maybe not like the top fears, but there are two fears. And he talked about people have a fear of being known and not loved. And that's what we talked about earlier, that if you really knew me, you wouldn't love me. And so he talked about, he wrote this song because people have this fear of, okay, they're going to know me, but when they know me, they won't love me. He talked about how that fear is crippling and that reality. If someone knew you, right? If someone knew you and they chose not to love you, how that would be devastating. But then he also talks to the flip side and he says, but to be loved without being known feels shallow and superficial. And I mean, really think about it, right? Would you take me seriously if I was like, oh, this is, okay, like, let's back up, you know, years. And I was like, hey, this is my girlfriend, Adeline. I love her. I love her with all of me. And they're like, oh, you know, cool. So what's she, you know, where's she from? I, I, don't, I don't know. Well, what's she like to do? Oh, I don't, I don't know. Well, tell us something about her. Uh, her name's Adeline. That's kind of the extent of my knowledge of her. Would you take my love for her seriously? 
Oh, and so Torrin, he wrote this song and he talks about this dual fear of being loved without being known or being known or, or being, yeah, loved without being known and known without being loved. And I think he's accurate in that. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we have that fear. We have that fear. If we're honest with ourselves, we have that fear that we'll meet people, we'll get to know people, and they won't love us. They won't even like us. They'll just kind of tolerate our existence, but they won't want anything to do with our lives. And when we come to God the Father, when we come to Jesus the Son, when we come to the Lord, we see that He knows you and loves you. That, I mean, I could have gotten up here and said that one sentence and we could have been done. And so if you're here this morning, if you're joining us online and you have a relationship with God, and maybe you've forgotten that over the years, which we're going to look at here in just a second, but maybe you've forgotten, you've lost sight of this, this unbelievable truth. Be reminded today that God knows you and loves you. And if you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with God, maybe you've wrestled with it, you're not sure of it, please know that if no one else in your life gives you a sense of value, if you feel like no one in your life loves you or knows you, please hear me on this that the Lord knows you and he loves you. And I would love to talk with you more about that. If you're online and this is the first you're ever hearing that, please reach out to us. We want to introduce you deeper to the God who knows you and loves you. And honestly, it's something that we need to remind ourselves of. Because the second part of this conversation in John 10, the second idea that Jesus introduces is he talks about, so he talks about, okay, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, I know them by name, and then as he goes on to describe the good shepherd, what's he say? He says, he goes before them. The good shepherd goes before the sheep. Because see, in Western culture, in Western shepherding culture, right, when, when I say shepherd and sheep, odds are, you know, if I play the odds, you're thinking of a shepherd behind the flock with maybe a sheepdog along the side. Because really, historically, that's how Western shepherding works. In, in our half of the world, in our hemisphere, that's how it works. Or hemisphere, is that top or bottom or left or right? Don't look it up. Don't quote me on it. But on our half of the world, in our part, Western shepherding, the shepherd frequently operates behind the flock. But in the Eastern shepherding culture that Jesus was living in and talking in, the shepherd led the flock. And the sheep followed him because they knew his voice. And the shepherd was out front, right? Go back to Psalm 23, that series we did on Psalm 23. It says, he prepares a table for me. He leads me through this. And we looked at how the shepherd would go ahead of the flock while they were back in safe pastures to prepare the next pasture. And so Jesus, again, reinforces this truth of he goes before him, or he goes before the flock. And once again, this is something that you see throughout Scripture that God goes before us as our shepherd, that Jesus has gone before us and set the example. Deuteronomy 31.8, It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Isaiah 45.2, I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. Psalm 77.20, You led your people like a flock. God, you led your people like a flock. Hebrews 2, 18 and 4, 15. For because Jesus himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. God goes before us. Jesus has gone before us. We're not sheep just trying to figure out the way. Jesus lays out that I am the good shepherd. I know my flock. I go before my flock. So then what's the response of the sheep? What's he say? He says, I call my sheep by name. And if you go back to 10.4, he says he calls his own sheep by name. And then in 10.4, Jesus said, and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. And then later on in John 10, when he says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. It's like we looked at with the Holy Spirit, like we've looked at numerous times. We're not passive in this life. There is an active response to the love of the Father, to the love of Jesus. And in this case, as Jesus demonstrates, the sheep follow the shepherd because they know his voice. Psalm 91, 14, because this is God speaking. In Psalm 91, David, the first half of Psalm 91 is David talking to God. The second half of Psalm 91 is God replying to David. And in Psalm 91, 14, God says to David, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. See, God knows us, but we're called to then know God. And we won't do it with the same perfection that God knows us, but we are still called to know God, to know his voice. And so really the question is straightforward. Do you know the voice of God? Do you recognize the voice of your shepherd? I mean, really, we know the automatic, yeah, yeah, I know God's voice. But really, do we, do we know the voice of God? Do we know Jesus' voice as our shepherd? On the one side of the screen are three of the most frequent lies that I hear Christians believe. Yeah, I mean, this, this breaks my heart every time. I'm going to do my best to get through. I'm just being honest. I'm going to do my best to get through this section. But this, is, this, stuff, this stuff grieves me heavily. See, the enemy says you'll never be more than your past wounds. The enemy says you'll never be more than your past pain. That's your identity. You're a victim. That's who you always are. There's no hope of changing that. And Christians believe him. And Christians listen to the voice of the enemy. But do we know the voice of our shepherd? Because here's what God says. Isaiah 62, 1 through 4, specifically verse 3 and 4. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married, for the Lord delights in you. The voice of the enemy wants you to believe that you are nothing more than your past wounds and pain and trauma and suffering. God says, no, your name is no longer desolate. Your name is no longer forsaken. Your name is my delight is in her. Do you know the voice of your shepherd? Or do you listen to the other voices in this world? The enemy also tells us, the voice of the enemy also tells us that you'll never be more than your past sin. Come on, man, if they knew you, they wouldn't love you. Look at, look at Joe Curry sitting there. If the church knew him, Joe, if the church knew you, you wouldn't be an elder. They'd kick you out. They'd want nothing to do with you. That's what the voice of the enemy wants Joe to believe. The voice of the enemy wants you to believe that you're past sin, you're unforgivable. You want a name for yourself? It's unforgivable. It's unredeemable. That's the voice of the enemy. What's our shepherd say? 
Our shepherd says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 21, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Which voice are you listening to? Do you know the voice of your shepherd when the enemy tries to come at you with lies? And arguably the most common lie that I hear Christians listen to when I talk to people one-on-one. I mean, this goes back to talking to my friends in high school, talking to people in college. You have nothing to offer God. You have nothing to offer the church. And there's an element where, like, God doesn't need me. We've made, hopefully we've made that abundantly clear over the years. Like, God doesn't need me. But the enemy twists it. See that word? So in 1 John, in 1 John it talks about nearly, you know, many antichrists will come and now are indeed among you. And in our mind, we've blown that up to be kind of polar opposites, right? If Jesus says black, the antichrist will say white. If Jesus says red, the antichrist will say blue. But that word, that original word for antichrists in 1 John, it's not a polar opposite. It's a very close imitation of. It's a funhouse mirror where it mostly looks right, but there's one or two details that are a little bit off. And so the enemy's voice takes this idea of you can't earn your way into heaven. You're not good enough to get into heaven on your own, which is true. I'm not going to get into heaven on my own merit. But then it takes that and it twists it just a little bit to be, so therefore you have nothing to offer God. You have nothing to offer the church. So just kind of coast. Just kind of hang out in the back. Just kind of take it easy. Who cares about fellowship? Who cares about serving? Who cares about surrendering and submitting? Because you don't have anything to bring. Right? God talks about, here's my altar. Bring me a sacrifice. You, you don't have anything to lay on that altar. That would just be embarrassing if you went up and tried. And Christians listen to this voice. But what's the voice of our shepherds say? Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. If you think you have nothing to offer God and you're drawing breath, well, there's your answer. That's what you offer God. You offer Him yourself. You offer Him your words. You offer Him your work. 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do for the glory of God. When the enemy tries to tell you, yeah, don't stand up, that's going to be embarrassing when other people give their sacrifices and you don't have anything to put, you say, no, I, I have something to offer God. I have myself. I have my life. I have my relationships to offer God. That's what the voice of the shepherd tells us. Although, what about church? I don't have anything to offer church. That's why I just, you know, I'll show up 20 minutes late, sit in the back, leave 10 minutes early, because I don't have anything to offer these people. They don't need me. They don't... I know, you know, they talk about fellowship, they talk about a body, but they don't need me. I don't have anything to offer this church. I'm not really a part of it. I'm not meant to be a part of it. If I'm not involved, and so where this lie really manifests itself is, if I weren't in the church, it would make no difference. Right? The church needs Sam and James. They need Esther and Sherry. They need the elders. They need Matt and the worship team. They need the sound booth people. But that's kind of it. They don't need me. Well, let's look at what the shepherd says. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 through 20. 
But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Each one of them as he chose. Have you ever considered that? I mean, have you really considered that when God looked at Community Bible Church, he said, yeah, I'm going to choose, I'm going to choose Russell Potter, I'm going to choose Rick Cross, I'm going to choose Tim, I'm going to choose Mary Ann, I'm going to choose Angie. I'm going to choose these people, and I'm going to assemble them into the body. Each member as he chose. Don't you ever listen to the voice of the enemy that says you have nothing to offer your church and they don't need you. God chose you for this body. But Christians listen to the enemy because we don't know the voice of our shepherd. And it's devastating to me. So really, when you consider John 10, when you consider this idea of, I know my sheep and my sheep know me, well, the first half should be a blessing and a joy and a salve to our souls. Then when we feel like the world is against us and the world doesn't love us and the world doesn't want anything to do with us, God knows us and loves us. And then the second half really is a challenge for us. Okay, if the sheep are meant to know the shepherd, do I know the shepherd? I mean, can I truthfully say I recognize the shepherd? Can I truthfully say that when other voices are whispering, I'm able to hear the voice of the shepherd because I know what he's saying? I know his words. Do we know the voice of our shepherd? And then if we do, what's it say? His sheep follow him because they know his voice. So if you want to sit there and you want to say, yeah, I know the voice of the shepherd, well, then the immediate question is, okay, well, does your life bear that out? Does the fruit of your life bear out that you recognize the voice of the shepherd and are following the shepherd? And I want to consider, this will be a slightly different challenge for this week. I want us to look inwardly at this body. I want us to consider this body of believers and our relationship to this body of believers. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 through 20. As it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. All right? So this body has a divinely arranged body. Elsewhere in Ephesians, it talks about the Holy Spirit assembles us into a, into a temple, a dwelling place. So I want you to read Hebrews 13. As we consider this idea of what do I have to offer the Lord as a member of a church body? As a part of a church body, what do I really have to offer God? I can't teach, I can't speak, I can't sing. I'm not handy. What, what do I actually have to offer God as a member of a church body? I want you to read Hebrews 13. And ask yourself if you can't do the things listed out in that chapter. And then for a practical application of this, and we'll see how it goes, I want you to send a physical note of encouragement to someone. One of the things that we see in Scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 talks about encourage one another. Specifically, I mean, specifically gives a command to intentionally encourage one another. So I want us to encourage one another. Because we have to realize that we might be having a good day, but the person we're sitting next to or the person who parked next to us in the parking lot might be having a terrible week or a month or a year, and they might be listening to the voice of the enemy who tells them, you have nothing to offer this body. You'll never be more than your past wounds. You'll never be more than your past sins. 
just give up on this already. And so I want us to encourage one another. And try and go outside your usual circles, right? Like, I'm, I'm intentionally not going to send a note of encouragement to any of the elders or any of the staff. I love them. I'm very grateful for them, but I interact with them on a regular basis. So if you're in someone's small group, don't, I mean, if you want to, go ahead. But let's expand. Okay, let's expand our scope. Let's deliberately and intentionally encourage one another. And then some of the ideas for prayers, you're considering this idea. You know, maybe take time to thank God for how he knows you. I mean, the fact that God knows you. And then open up more to him. Go to him and be honest. God already knows you, so you holding back in your prayer life is not helping anyone. Well, maybe thank God for how he loves you and get specific with it. This week, Adel and I have been celebrating. We had some test results back that were the results we were praying for. And so all week, my praise has been, Lord, thank you. It was a blessing. Our baby's growing healthy. This is, this is wonderful. Thank you. You are loving us in this way. Get specific with God when you thank him for how he loves you. Or take specific lies that you hear in your life. Right? Maybe it's you're a failure as a husband, you're a failure as a, as a wife. Maybe it's you're a failure as a parent. Take specific lies that the enemy whispers to you and then spend this week to go find out what the voice of the shepherd says about that. Okay? Maybe it's something like that. And so maybe the prayer is, God, teach me what you say about fill in the blank. Right? This is the voice I've been listening to. Teach me what your voice says about this. But either way, guys, let's, let's be a flock that knows our shepherd. Please, let's be a, a flock that knows our shepherd and follows him accordingly. Please join me in prayer. Lord, you know us and you love us. That's so incredible. I didn't earn salvation. Nothing I will ever do will merit Jesus dying on the cross for me. And yet you sent him to satisfy the penalty for sin and love. I mean, you know us and you love us. And we are so grateful. So Lord, teach us to know you. Teach us to know your voice. Teach us to be sheep who know our shepherd and who follow you because we know your voice and we can hear it in the crowd. Guide us in this in your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.